Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Good morning, friends. Our first uh, Bible reading is from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 3 to 11 from the New uh, International Version. And the Apostle Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight and that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Our second reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 16. As I commented to the pastor, not commonly read in church. You'll soon find out why. Romans chapter 16, 1 to 16 from the New International Version. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Concheria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people, and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Greet my dear friend, Epentus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Juna, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles and they are in Christ before I was. Greet Amphilus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Statius. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Astrobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryposa, 
those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Perseus, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Anonychus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patabas, Hermes, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Amen. Well, wasn't that a test? <laughs> Bet you're glad you went reading the scripture today up there. Thank you, Eugene. Very well read. A lot of tough names in there. Don't know why we didn't call our children some of those names. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace that comes to us through Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your church that you brought into being through Christ, which is Christ's body. We thank you that it is through your church you continue to witness and serve the community in drawing people to a knowledge of you. Help us today, Lord God, as we listen to your scripture to be people who not only hear your word spoken, but we become people who do it in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Charlie Plum, he was a fighter pilot in the US Air Force during the Vietnam War, and he, he flew 75 combat missions. But on his 75th uh, mission, his plane was shot down. But uh, Captain Plum was very fortunate because he was able to sort of eject from the plane and able to uh, use his parachute to land. Uh, but he was soon picked up by North Vietnamese troops and he was kept as a prisoner of war for six years until the end of the war. But after the war, when he was back in the US, he met someone one day, sort of randomly, and uh, the guy said to him, you're Charlie Plum. You flew fighter jets in the Vietnam War and you were shot down. Plum was a bit startled and he asked the man how he, how he knew who he was and how he knew what had happened to him. And the man replied, I was a person who packed your parachute. The man shook Charlie Plum's hand and said, I guess it worked. When we hear of people doing surprising things like surviving being shot down in a plane or completing an epic journey under harsh conditions, we often focus, don't we, on the individuals like Charlie Plum. But what Charlie Plum's story should remind us of is that behind every great venture, every um, journey, every mission are partnerships with other people 
who encourage us, who support us, who help us, who enable us, who even pack our parachutes so that the mission or the venture can succeed. I'm not sure how you view uh, God's mission to the world or how you see your own participation in it. Maybe you have never thought of it that way. Maybe you've never thought that there's a role for you, but some might see that... that, um, the participation in God's mission to the world is something that only a few skilled or talented or gifted and dedicated individuals are involved in, like a solo act. And I want to suggest to you today that we need to see that God's mission to the world, in, in, in fact, in, involves the entire church. It involves all of us working together in partnership according to the gifts and skills and talents and means that God has given us. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, uh, we get a glimpse of what partnership in God's mission of the world looked like for a church in that time. Paul was involved actually in starting that church in Philippi with his team. They were led to Philippi in an amazing way by the, by the Holy Spirit. If you remember the, the story, they have a vision Paul gets a vision and is uh, encouraged to go across there into Macedonia. And right from the beginning of this letter to the Philippians, if you read it, it's a very short letter, Paul highlights the importance of the partnership that he had with the Philippians in God's mission to the world. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In in, In all my prayers... For all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day, from that very first day until now. Some translations uh, use the word fellowship instead of partnership. But I think the word partnership is a, is a much better choice, particularly today, because it, it, uh, it expresses the kind of relationship that we're actually meant to have together. You see, fellowship, I think, has lost some of its meaning today. Today, when people talk about having fellowship, they generally meaning having the three C's, don't they? Coffee, cake and a chat. And although coffee, cake and a chat are great, they're not enough for what God is actually calling the church to be in the world today. It's not what God is on about. It's not what God wants us to be on about. So the partnership that Paul and the Philippians experienced was a, a gospel-centered partnership because it involved people who shared two things in common. One was they had a common, they had a relationship in they had in common a relationship with Jesus Christ. And two, they shared Christ's vision for being involved in God's mission in the world. But what did Paul and the Philippians' gospel-centred partnership look like in real terms? What did they do and, and what did they each bring to this partnership? Paul mentioned what it consisted of throughout the whole, book, throughout the whole letter of, to the Philippians. He says uh, The first thing he says is that it involved prayer. They prayed for each other. In Philippians 1.3, Paul says that he thanked God every time he remembered the Philippians. 
And he prayed for them often with great joy. Every time he remembered them, he thought of them and what they were contributing to this partnership, how they came to faith and what they were doing there in Philippi and how they were assisting the work of the Lord. And this brought him great joy and he prayed for them. But the prayer wasn't a one-way deal, a bit like what Sally was talking about. It wasn't just, um, j- just him praying for them or them praying for him. Paul says that he knew that the Philippians were also praying for him. And so in Philippians 1.19, he told them that their prayers were actually effective in helping him to persevere and minister even though he's in prison. And friends, that's why we need to be praying for Sally and for Kim Leon and Kate and for each other, for the pastors of this church, for one another, so that we too will persevere, so that we too will have those opportunities that the Lord presents to us, that we'll take them. We won't, we won't live in fear. Paul says in Philippians 1.19, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. You see, Paul Paul really craves those prayers because he knows that, uh, that God can do things and change things and help him. And that the way that uh, this occurs is through the prayers of his people. Their partnership also included paying attention to each other's needs in practical ways even when doing so came at actually great personal cost. Paul had obviously visited Philippi. It was on his first visit to Philippi that some women began to follow Jesus. And so Paul and his team stayed and they ministered there in Philippi under great hardship. In fact, we're told in the book of Acts that in Philippi, Paul and Silas were beaten up and put in prison because they ministered to a young girl who was possessed by a spirit and they released her from this spirit. And so sharing the good news was great. It was very costly. Just being there was costly. But the Philippian believers also took care of Paul and his team while they were in Philippi at great cost to themselves. Lydia, who was the first convert and follower of Jesus, She invited Paul and his team to come and stay at her house, to stay with her and her household while they ministered in the city. What that means is she actually put put her home, her food, her household, all in the service of Paul and and the Lord's service as a partner with, with Paul. She used her home, her servants, her food to help her new partner, undertake God's mission in her neighbourhood. But their care and concern went further than hospitality. In Philippians 2, Paul thanked the Philippians for actually sending Epaphroditus to him while he was in prison. Paul heaped praises on Epaphroditus, calling him a, a brother, a co-worker, a fellow soldier, a messenger, someone who took care of his needs. The Philippians, you see, had heard about Paul being in prison and so they didn't only want to pray for him. It's, good, it's great to pray for people, isn't it? But they also wanted to help him in other ways, in very practical ways. And so they sent one of their own people to him 
with help, with gifts, with money, with the ability to sit with Paul and care for him so that he would be encouraged. Didn't go so well, though. Well, from our perspective, maybe, but because Epaphroditus became very unwell. And while he was visiting with Paul, and he nearly died. And in the end, Paul was actually caring for Epaphroditus and uh, well, when he became well enough to go home, Paul sent him back to the Philippians with a letter of encouragement. Epaphroditus was a little bit embarrassed that he'd become sick. And he was also embarrassed that he'd been sent there to, to Paul by the Philippian church and uh, that he was worried that the church would feel bad about what had happened. But in his letter, what Paul says is, he says, don't be embarrassed. He says, instead, they should welcome Epaphroditus with great joy and honour him because his visit showed to Paul that their partnership had actually reached this new level, a new level of commitment. And it showed the, showed, um, the true depth of the Philippians' commitment to him and to the spread of the gospel. Paul said, Epaphroditus almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. But Epaphroditus wasn't just sent to encourage Paul with words of encouragement. He also took a financial support to Paul. And so Paul also acknowledged that gift and thanked the Philippians for it. In fact, the large part of partnership in Philippians is the idea of sharing and providing what is necessary for the work of the Lord to continue and to thrive and to prosper. It's, it's providing whatever is needed. And so the Philippians' financial support wasn't just a one-off thing either. It wasn't just a one-off random gift of generosity. It was something that continued on. Even while Paul was ministering in other towns and provinces away from Philippi, the Philippians supported the work and the spread of the good news in those places because they understood that they were actually working in partnership together for this purpose, contributing according to their gifts and skills and according to their means, their financial means. Paul reminded them of their long-term financial support, saying, When I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Friends, can you see that the relationship that Paul and the Philippians had was, was not just a matter of coffee and cake and a chat after church. They had a true gospel-centred partnership which involved harnessing and using all the resources that they had available to them, including their talents, their skills, their gifts, their finances to, to achieve a, their shared vision, even at great personal cost. But gospel-centred partnerships were not just unique to the Philippian church and Paul. They are, in fact, the New Testament model of how churches are actually called to be on mission with God in the world. 
The Galatian church were also involved in a gospel-centred partnership when they were going well. In fact, in Galatians 4.15, Paul reminded them of the depth of their partnership, their depth of their commitment to the work of the Lord and to Paul. And he reminded them, they, they, and he said this, he said, If you could have, you would have torn out your own eyes and given them to me so that the work of the Lord could continue. You see, Paul's eyes were fading, failing at the end of his ministry. You see, that is a, that is a real depth of commitment, isn't it, that most people would only ever experience with their children. It's parents who give kidneys to children, isn't it? It's parents who sacrifice so their children will be better off. It's very rare to find someone else who will do that for someone else. But the gospel changes everything. It turns things upside down and it transforms us. This is the sort of relationship that Jesus is actually calling his church to have with him and with one another as we join God in his mission to the world. That we'd be willing to give our own eyes so that the, so that, so that the gospel could continue to go and be proclaimed to other people. This is the type of relationship, it sounds very deep, doesn't it? <laughs> and it is. It is deep. This is the challenge of the gospel it, it's, but it's only possible to do that, to have that commitment to partnership in the power of the Holy Spirit. But when we enter into, but when entered into in the power of the Holy Spirit, such a gospel-centered partnership can be extremely powerful. Can you imagine how a gospel-centred partnership like this would actually impact our relationships with one another in this church if we really practised it? We'd get beyond those surface-level conversations and we would begin to experience life, deep life caring for one another, which is the way and what the church is meant to be. Can you imagine also how this sort of partnership with each other in this church, if we had gospel-centred partnerships, how that would impact the community, the wider community around us in which we lived, in which we live. Jesus talked about this in John chapter 13. He gave his followers a new command, saying, Love one another as I have loved you, so that you may so so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love, if you love one another. Friends, it's not coffee, cake and a chat that people will know that we are Jesus' disciples. It's through us observing, it's through them observing us in gospel-centred partnerships, empowered by the Holy Spirit and done in the love of Christ. Nathan talked about this a couple of weeks ago uh, when he reminded us that love is a verb. It's a doing word, if you remember that from school, and love actually requires action. 
But these sorts of relationships are difficult, aren't they? I think that instead of being invested in gospel-centred partnerships, we often tend to protect ourselves and we get committed to limited partnerships. You know, the LTD on the end, with God and with one another out of fear. As a community, we are often willing to give some time, some care, some money, some prayer. But a gospel-centred partnership will, will enable us to give to each other more deeply and be, and be willing to invest more strongly in Jesus' vision and his mission with one another. In many ways, what Paul and the Philippians had with God and with each other was a no-limits partnership. We've heard of that before, haven't we? Not because Paul or the Philippians were strong or because they were highly capable or because they were rich and they could afford it, but because of what their partnership was based upon, which was a shared relationship with Jesus and a shared vision for God's mission in the world. This is the type of relationship that God calls us to have with him and each other today so that we can join him in his mission to the world. At the end of chapter 16 in the book of Romans, which Eugene uh, read for us before, there's a section that we usually jump over <laughs> because of all those long names. And Paul rattles off about 27 names there. Quite a number of them are women and men, people from different cultural backgrounds, from different age groups, people who had different gifts, different ministry callings, people. Who are these people? Why does Paul even mention them here? These are gospel-centered partners with Paul. These are people, these are co-workers, fellow laborers, brothers and sisters. And Paul reminds them that they have all played a role in God's mission to the world. Some of them have been partners with him uh, and his team financially. Others have provided hospitality. Others have travelled extensively with him. Others have stayed in Rome and strengthened the church there and discipled new believers. Some have even gone elsewhere and taken the gospel to faraway places so that others can have the opportunity to hear where they otherwise might not have. What this list of names emphasises and celebrates is that the mission of God is not done by a few heroic individuals. It's not done by the Charlie Plums of the world, but it's done through the work of ordinary people who, have, who, who all have a relationship with Jesus themselves and who share in Jesus' vision for the world and how it's accomplished. This list of names also celebrates the power of partnership. See, it recognises that mission is what God calls us to do together with him, with each of us contributing according to the gifts and talents and means that God's given us. Friends, to be partners with God in his mission to the world, we need to take our role as partners with him and with each other very seriously. We need to embrace 
also that we are called to a, to a no-limits partnership with God and with one another. But to be, able, to be able to embrace this kind of partnership, there are some necessary elements that we need in our lives. You see, first, to be in a gospel-centred partnership with no limits with God and each other, you need to have a relationship with Jesus. It's not enough to believe in God or to like Jesus or to to like his ethics or his teachings or his moral principles, you need to be in relationship with Jesus because it's through being in a relationship with Jesus that you receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who empowers you to go the distance in the partnership. This is why Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit before they started going off and doing ministry and mission. It's the Holy Spirit who will help you to think of others consistently more than yourself. It's the Holy Spirit who will give you the power to lay down your life, to lay down your ego. And it's the Holy Spirit who will enable you to give sacrificially when it actually costs you personally. If you've wondered why you have not been able to be generous with your time, why you struggle to give financially to the work of the Lord, why you're not drawn to serving others, using your skills and your talents and your gifts, then I want to encourage you this morning to ask yourself a question. Who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus to me? Is Jesus my Lord? Am I in relationship with him? Only a relationship with Jesus will enable you to be filled with the Spirit who empowers you to give your time, your money, your abilities, your very self to Jesus' vision and mission without resenting God and without resenting other people. Friends, if you know that you're not in a relationship with Jesus, then I want to invite you to respond to his invitation today for relationship and you can begin that relationship today through confessing your sin giving him your burdens your very life and he'll transform you and fill you with his spirit and with his power so that you can be a gospel-centered partner with him but if you are a follower of Jesus this morning And you find partnership, you do have a relationship with Jesus, you know that, but you're finding partnership, your partnership, your willingness to be in partnership has slipped. Then I want to encourage you because we all need to be refreshed and continue to be refreshed in our relationship with God. In Galatians 5.25, Paul says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You see, it's not just, well, I was filled with the Spirit and then I don't ever have to do anything more about that, the, the Bible tells us that we need to go on being filled with the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, not grieve the Spirit in our lives, not living to our own tune, governed by fear, governed by self-centeredness. And the only way to move out of that is to allow ourselves to ask God to 
fill us again and refresh us with his spirit so that we can walk according to his spirit and not according to ours. Friends, this is how the early church joined God in his mission to the world. It was people who shared in common a relationship with Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, who also shared a vision with Jesus and one another for God's mission to the world that actually enabled them to go and engage in the world as Jesus intended them to do. And this too will be how people in our community will encounter Jesus and enter the kingdom of God and experience Christ's transforming power by all of us being in a gospel-centred partnership with God and one another as well. What are some of the ways we can develop our gospel-centred partnership with God and one another? Well, we can start by asking God to give us a desire to be in partnership with him and with one another. I want to encourage you to do that if you are a follower of Jesus this morning. Ask God before you leave here this morning to rekindle your desire because God can do that and needs to do that for us to play our role. Then we can ask God to show each of us individually and together how we can participate according to our gifts, according to our talents, according to our means. You see, none of us will serve or contribute in the same way. That's not what it's about. We need to ask God to show us individually what our contribution is to the partnership. God has given us unique skills and abilities and means and we need to make this a part of our life, a part of our prayer life, not a one-off prayer and set and forget. This should be a prayer that we're constantly praying, individually but also as a church. Show us, show us, Lord. Lead us, open us up to your thinking and your thoughts. And if we ask God to show us how we are to participate we need also to ask him to empower us through his spirit to bring what we have into this partnership. You see, it's not enough just to know those things. We need also him to empower us to give those things freely and willingly. And that is what the spirit of God can do for us. And when we do that, friends... When we do that, we're going to see great things happen in our church, in our community, as we work together in unity, drawing on the power of the Spirit, each contributing according to what God has given us. We'll see mighty things happen. I want to invite the band to come up. As we sing this final song, Come to the Table, which is a great song. Lord God, I want to pray that you would encourage us, draw us by your spirit. Lord, I want to pray for anyone here who has come to realise they don't have a relationship with you, that they are living on someone else's relationship. They like the ethics they like the morals, but they don't know you personally. They don't have a relationship with you. Lord, I want to pray for these people this morning in our congregation that 
that they might hear you, your invitation, inviting them into a relationship with you. Jesus says, come. Come today. Don't put that off. And Lord, I pray for the rest of us who are followers of Jesus, who might have been reluctant partners, that desire, that willingness might have dropped away. Lord, I pray that you would re-stimulate us, reinvigorate us by the power of your spirit for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.